0: Sorry, are we, are we not being clear?
1: The denial of the climate crisis we're facing comes in many forums.
0: We're trying to tell you that the entire planet is about to be destroyed.
1: From the hapless. Well, it's, um, you know, just something we do around here. You know, we just
0: keep the bad news light.
1: To the malign. LNG is being sought after all over Europe and all over the world. And we have more of it than anybody else. And I'm not going to lose that wealth. I'm not going to lose it on, on dreams, on windmills. But denial also has an important psychological function. Because the
0: implications of climate are that our lifestyles that we enjoy, cheap flights, cheap food, ease of all this technology is unsustainable and has dest- that lifestyle is destroying the planet and we have to give it up. We have to give it up and if we don't give it up it'll be taken from us uh, by natural collapses and so forth and that's incredibly painful reality we don't want to uh, face
1: How do we handle the overwhelming? How do we cope when faced with the enormous scale of the climate catastrophe? And how important is it to enjoy that bit of hot weather we do get even if we do know that it's down to climate change and that the metaphorical storm clouds are gathering behind it? I'm Conor Pope and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, the psychology of climate denial. John Shari is a professor of the UCD School of Psychology and a trustee of the environmental charity Foster. John, we know that temperatures are rising and droughts seem endless and storms are worse and glaciers are melting and sea levels are climbing. But with all of that happening, as well as all of the other crises in the world, isn't it kind of understandable that we struggle to process and to deal with climate change from a psychological perspective?
0: Absolutely. Like I think people are really struggling um, mentally with this and trying to really appreciate what's going on. And it's—I uh, meet people who are terrified about it, who are de- really depressed about it, you know, who are angry about it. You know, so it's—it's uh, it's a really shocking reality to face, uh, and that's the reason why people are denying it because. Uh, it's so bad you want to think, oh, this can't be true, and you'll cling to anything else but the truth about it. And that's why there's a growth in, you know, fabrication and denial. And somehow we secretly hope that the people who are denying it and saying, Oh, this is just natural variation, with no scientific basis to that statement, or or this won't be too bad, you know, or this is just a conspiracy. We sort of cling to those ideas, hopefully they're true, because then then it's all okay. But the reality that's not the case. We're facing a very challenging set of interrelated crises which will make the future very challenging for people to live through the present. It's starting now in the present for many people and the future which
1: very, very challenging. And of course, we saw that over the course of the summer because there was these incredible heat waves. And on the one level, we're going, oh my God, this is, the, this is the start of it. This is how it happens. And then on the other level, we're going, oh, but isn't it lovely to have the sunny weather? And we saw that across the media as well with some media commentators criticising meteorologists for highlighting the fact that this was a direct result of climate change. And do you think that's kind of a problem that we have this kind of ambivalence towards what's happening to our weather in particular?
0: I think part of the issue is, is being unable to have a real conversation, like a mature conversation about things. Like, you uh, the media, unfortunately, Twitter all splits things down lines. It wants a big war. It wants a good fight. Like on the one hand, people saying, you know, uh, the w- weather is lovely, and uh, and don't be don't be sort of bringing up the grim reality of climate change. And on the other hand, the science they want to stalk a war between that. But in in fact, both positions are true, uh, and that's what I was trying to say in in the article that the heat waves are a ominous sign of very challenging things like biodiversity crises. But that doesn't mean that you can't still enjoy good weather. And in fact, if you were always distressed by what's going on, uh, you'd be no good to anyone. Uh, Like I meet people who are ecologically burnt out, who have sort of breakdowns, who are people campaigning to try to change the world and they get burnt out by all that and they can't bear it. So it's trying to adopt a, a healthy position is that, yes, this is a terrible thing, we must act. But equally as well, we're going to commit to that, but let's... We have to also look after ourselves, enjoy the moment, connect and appreciate the weather and nature while we still have it, I say. Like at the, Ireland only had a very mild heat wave um, and that's a great thing to enjoy. That's different than when you're in 45 degrees and people are dying and all your crops are dying and the rivers are drying up. So that'll come, of course, in the future, even to Ireland. So, so there's a case of enjoying the moment, of course, while you can, and but not be fooled by things and face reality. This is a time for tremendous hope and joy and optimism and action. But to embrace the possibilities of tomorrow, we must reject the perennial prophets of doom and their predictions of the apocalypse. They are the
1: heirs of yesterday's foolish fortune tellers, and I have them, and you have them, and we all have them. And they want to see us too badly, but we don't let that happen. How much of that denial do you think is political, and does some of it come from the culture wars that we're seeing play out, particularly in places like the United States?
0: Denial takes many forms. Uh, like, it is uh, it is political as well, because, like, there's vested interests who have a vested interest in denial. And, and in a way, that's understandable psychologically. If it's hard to face the truth when the truth means you're out of a job. So if you're a fossil fuel explorer, or if you're an industrial agriculturalist, or if you're a pesticide producer... You will do everything you can to deny that on a psychological level because you want you're making money out of it. Your livelihoods based on that, so so it's very hard for a man to agree to something that's going to mean he's going to lose his money. And it's, uh, so, so there's a lot of denial motivated by that. And actually, lots of these groups then are great campaigners and they lobby the governments. Uh, they have huge monies behind them as well uh, to to do that. Uh, uh, and you see that in Ireland and, and around the world. So so there is a very political, activated, organised denial as well you could argue it's very pernicious and evil and of course uh, um, and it, but it's also psychologically understandable by people who preserve wealth and what their their st- status quo in it so there's all levels of, de- of denial and then there's also just psychological because of the distressing news like there's people who you can see them on twitter proposing conspiracy theories they're saying oh this is not true or they're just see hiding this from the truth from us because they do that because they feel better when they say that to themselves you know you think oh I know the truth. There's nothing wrong. I don't have to change anything. It's all going to be fine. It's just a bit of warm weather. Ha, ha, ha. And sure, that campaigner, doesn't he fly in planes? He's an idiot. Ha, ha. I'm the, I'm the guy who holds the truth. So that, that's nice psychologically. You have a little smug, little sense of satisfaction that you know, and you don't have to change anything rather than facing the truth means, yes, the world's going to heat warm, uh, going to get warmer. We're going to get collapsing food systems. We're going to get collapsing economics. Uh, we're going to have increased poverty. We're going to have lots of people dying. We're going to have uh, you know, th- these are really hard things for people to face. Sorry. I'm sorry, sorry. Are, we, uh, are we not being clear? We're trying to tell you that the entire planet is about to be destroyed. Okay. okay. Um, well, it's, um, you know, just something we do around here. You know, we just keep the bad news light. The destruction of the entire planet isn't supposed to be fun. Maybe it's supposed to be terrifying.
1: I don't know if you saw the film Don't Look Up. I did. I loved it. And and Don't Look Up kind of encapsulates a lot of what you're saying and a lot of what you said in your article in the Irish Times that for a lot of people it's just much easier to stay in denial. I wonder how long that denial is sustainable before everyone has to agree with the irrefutable scientific evidence that climate change is real, it's here and we need to do something about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, uh, I see there's like a stages of awareness, like a, there's, there's a, the innocent stage where it's all, you think it's all perfect and, you, and then you deny, first of all, that, You know, it's not too big a problem. And if I just change my light bulbs and fly a little bit less, it'll be fine. And then you realise, actually, no, this is far more serious, that even if I do those things, there's going to be serious problems and so forth. Um, And then you see it's all interconnected crisis as well. It's not just climate, it's biodiversity, it's food, it's how we live. Energy, as we're seeing now, limited resources. There's levels of awareness of how serious the problem is. And people go through those cycles as 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 they become more aware. But there's a large group of people who will never face the truth as well. A metaphor we use in the charity, IFASTA, I the environmental charity, read a book, published there, collected a book there a number of years ago. It was called Fleeing v- Vesuvius, Mitigating the Risk of Environmental Collapse. And Vesuvius, you know, they, they, in Pompeii, when it erupted, the, the city, they, they wouldn't believe it was going to happen. And some of them left for the high ground. But a lot of them just stayed there and were the, the lava just overwhelmed them. So it's a complex question, Connor.
1: Yeah, but I suppose the people of Pompeii had an excuse because they didn't have the huge volumes of scientific data that we have. So they couldn't see what was happening into the future. Whereas we have a fairly good idea of that. And speaking of that, in the piece in The Irish Times, you talked about eco-anxiety and burnout amongst environmental campaigners. Is eco-anxiety and burnout and stress a consequence, an inevitable consequence of a full understanding of the scale of the climate crisis?
0: Uh, you're talking about then how does this all psychological affect us when you start facing up to the truth and reality of our predicament. And I, I think it's a bit like um, the sort of trauma model or a bereavement model or a, um, it's a bit like we're served with a fatal diagnosis or life as we know it is going to end. Not now, Starting now, it could be in the future. We don't know the exact time scale. And then, the, you know, the stage of denial, there's this denial initially. Then there can be bargaining. If I do this, if I, uh, if I do this new Fancy treatment or alternative treatment, I'll be fine. That could be a little bit more like the greenwashing, all the things like if I just change my light bulbs, if I don't fly, it'll all be fine. It's not so bad, this bargaining process. And then there's this where it hits you and it's sort of that this is true. And then you can be enraged. This is the rage, you know, anger is the next thing. You'd be enraged at who let you, who was who the bad guy here. Surely
1: we shouldn't aspire to reaching the acceptance stage when it comes to climate change. Would it not be better for us to stay with the anger stage? Because people who are angry are more likely to take significant actions to stop something happening. Whereas once we reach the acceptance stage, are we not kind of saying, do you know what, maybe it's just too late?
0: There's two, there's two parts of that. The stages of grief is really, or that stages model is, is a bit is of a misnomer because it's not linear. It's not that you go through uh, denial, done that, Anger finish with that one. Now I'm on to uh, grief. Uh, now I'm on to depression and acceptance. It's they all happen at the same time in truth, and you keep going back to them. So you'll never lose your anger, Connor. Believe me, you'll never lose your depression about this or your anxiety about it. Uh, uh, you might they may be more manageable, and you can use them better, as you said very well. Anger dry it, it, anger is a, is a problematic emotion, in my, in my view, because uh, it does drive people to fight to justice. Uh, you know, to change things. But it's quite irrational as well. It, it all, people often pick the wrong guy. You know, that's a really common thing with anger. You can see that like the right-wing politicians growing around the world, they just say, here's the guy to blame. It's the Mexicans or it's the EU. Uh, and everyone's, oh, that's who the guy's causing all our problems. Or, can I, and we love angry at them, which they, when their both those positions are absurd and ridiculous. Um, it's actually the real problem is the guy who's telling you, <laughs> he's the guy you should be fighting. Today's Congress, though, is full of folks who stubbornly and automatically reject the scientific evidence about climate change. They will tell you it is a hoax or a fad. One member of Congress actually says the world is cooling. There was one member of Congress who mentioned a theory involving dinosaur flatulence, which I won't get into. But <laughs> So, so anger is not very sophisticated, unfortunately, but, but it's, it's one that you have to really learn to channel, uh, is, what, is
1: what I suggest. Yeah. But well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, another thing that I wonder is, are we at a unique point in human history? Like we're staring into a future that has this huge toxic cloud hanging over it. And we know that that, that cloud is going to be with us for generations and generations. Has the world ever had to confront something like this before, in your knowledge? No.
0: <laughs> no. And there's very good books on this. If you look at all the different books on Jared Diamond has one on civilizations, uh, on collapse. Uh, Joseph Tainter, how the collapse of complex civilizations. Um, uh, You can read through all that. There's there's been lots of civilizations collapse. Most human civilizations collapse because most of them commit the same problem. Um, They over consume the environment and then they destroy it. Rome was the same Rome, is the most sophisticated village we know. Rome had only a million people in its city in the city of Rome. They overconsumed the environment, and then the environment was slaves, uh, and also the agricultural from the, the Egypt. And, and they couldn't import any more food. Uh, there's other reasons as well. And it collapsed. Rome collapsed, uh, a sort of gradual collapse. Um, so uh, so you could look at Rome is a bit like, a, as a good example, but that was a tiny. They were only a small ecological environment that were collapsing. Uh, there's also, you could look at the Mayan civilizations and so forth as well. The one that's very different about this one is it's completely global and interconnected.
1: Yeah. And of course, you, the way you characterise it there, like makes it clear that the, the scale of the problem is just so vast. Yeah. And does that vastness make it really easy for us all to be overwhelmed and is it easy for us to say, well, listen, there's no point in me doing anything about it. There's no point in me flying less or recycling better or whatever it might be, because big oil or China or the US or India or Russia or whatever it is aren't changing fast enough. So why should I bother?
0: Yeah, you see, you, you, can, that's a, you can adopt that position, Connor, if you, if, you, if you like. I can't stop you adopting that position, you know, and, and people are fearful of telling people the truth in case they'll adopt that position often people get overwhelmed when they discover it and they back off for a little bit, you know? It's it's this difficult stuff. And then they choose, how do I want to live? Uh, Is that the way you want to live, that you just give up? Or do you want to fight for a better future for your children? Like, do you want to fight to slow things down? Do you want to give up on on changing things and making the world a better place? Do you want to give up for your children's life and for your own life and just say, feck it? Do do, Do you know what I mean? So I think, in my experience large groups of people don't do that and they want a better path. It they, they, they inspires them even more to uh, fight for a better future.
1: And you mentioned children there, John. And I wonder from a psychological perspective, does having children make people more environmentally aware and more determined to affect change? Because they're, they're more maybe appreciative of the fact that they're not changing it for themselves, they're changing it for their children or their children's children. Or does the idea that you're working to protect your offspring's future make any difference, in from a psychological perspective?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's a very good point. I think it depends on the person. <laughs> when you have a child, you, people get more worried about the future. Now, what, what's happening there is when you're just a person yourself, your psychological vista is the next few years, maybe ten. You know what I'll be doing. You know, you'd be thinking, well, I'll be might be fine. I'll be retired. I might do this or do that. When you have children, you start thinking, what will the world be like when they're 20 or twenty five, so you have this sort of longer term investment in the future, and then if you then look and really ask that question,'ll be like, "Then you should be terrified for them and depressed for your children, uh, and then think about how can I help them and prepare them for that?" So yes, I think most people having children does change their perspective in the future.
1: I wonder, what will you tell your children was the reason to fail? and leave them facing a climate chaos that you knowingly brought upon them? That it seemed so bad for the economy that we decided to resign the idea of securing future living conditions without even trying? John, I wonder, and this might be a glib question, but do you have any simple tools that we could use to arm ourselves or equip ourselves as we face into the future? I mean, tools that we could use to fight against climate change and tools that we could use to fight against the stress and the panic and the depression that might overwhelm us. Yeah, no, that's a great question.
0: Yes, the first thing to do is to realise you're not alone. Uh, Like a lot of people think when they have this uh, these thoughts that they're somehow crazy and also then they're not socially accepted to bring them up like if you go to your di- uh, kind of challenge you go to your dinner party there with your friends and start saying they and you can say oh we're all going to die and this is going to be collapsed when they uh, you know you, you won't get invited back to that social gathering <laughs> so the important thing is to reach out to like-minded people uh, to reach out to people who are thinking these things or are worried about these things and get some support. I think that's the single biggest thing that you can do. Now luckily, there's loads of great resources. Um, for example, in, in Friends of the Earth who, who I've done some work with in Ireland, they do wonderful work nurturing uh, looking after young activists and being active the organizations themselves. but they also provide supports like that, holding space for grief, for distress. Uh, they look after them psychologically as well. And then there's also organisations like, like Deep Adaptation, who's sort of moving to acceptance of the reality as it is. Uh, against sometimes the environment don't like that because they want to keep campaigning. Uh, there's also Active Hope. So there's loads of great resources online and you can meet people in, in Ireland as well uh, to g- gain support. Psychologists in mainstream clinics are seeing big rises of eco-anxiety and distress from teenagers t- and adults contacting them. That's like another the biggest problem coming in is increases use, use in depression related to the state of the world. So psychological support and help. But, but I don't like to see it as a psychological problem. It's more like a, an understandable reaction to an existential crisis. So, so don't like, you're not mad and feeling this way. So they're the psychological tools. And then the other thing is be an activist. Do something. Do something about it. Get off the couch, uh, campaign for a better world, vote the right way pressure your politicians for a better world politicians only can do what people vote for like so like be prepared to vote for a world where, where there's we, we share more That accept there, that there's going to be less of this lucrative lifestyle that we all enjoy accept that there's going to have to be cutbacks accept look for a more just society that's good that's good for the world and good for you because then your, your whole mental health improves your whole well-being improves because you're doing you're fighting the good cause I- I- in the world
1: Thanks for listening. Today's episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan, Declan Conlon and Azean Finnegan. In the news, we'll be back on Monday.